I'm a big believer that experience teaches. My goal with this show is to have guests to share their experience so that they can tell you what it's like, what they did right and what they did wrong. And I'm gonna share the same. Look, I'm not trying to regurgitate stuff you can find on the internet. I'm gonna tell you how it really is and what it's really like to own your own place. This is the National Restaurant Owners Podcast with your host, Kyle and Sarah. What is up, guys? We are back. Episode 88. The National Restaurant Owners Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle and Sarah, and this is the number one and fastest growing podcast for independent restaurants in the country. Thank you so much for checking me out today. This is episode 88. So close to the 100 goal. I got to tell you, just be, just before um, recording this, I had an inter- not an interview, I guess a conversation with a potential virtual assistant because this thing is starting to become real work over here. So um, it's awesome. It's it's really incredible what's happened in the last year. And uh, I'm psyched. But in the issue of continuing to provide value and sort of leaning into what I've experienced, I'm thinking about changing. I think I touched on this in one of the last episodes. Changing the format of the show a little bit to bring in some other guests to talk about specific issues. Um, some fun ones, right? Like cannabis in the restaurant doesn't have a place. Mental health, abuse, um, substance abuse in, in the restaurant business, stuff like that. Um, and we're going to have some, some fun stuff, some more entertaining type stuff. I might even change the name. I don't know. Just the way I'm feeling. So don't lose us. <laughs> stay, stay in, uh, stay in touch on Instagram and YouTube and all that fun stuff. And obviously keep checking in, but that's just what's what's in my brain right now. Cause I think about, you know, how many times you guys really want to hear somebody tell, you know, just kind of their story. Well, let's let's get into it a little bit. Let's dive in a little bit deeper. Might have a little some co-host action. Um that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking about. But um this week's guest, episode 88, Ken McGarry, he's the author and founder, he's an author of the surprise restaurant manager, which is an unbelievable title because it happens all the time. Um, surprise, you're the manager now. <laughs> oh, the manager left? We're not hiring another manager. You're the manager now. Um, founder of Corgan Hospitality. He's just a shitload of restaurant uh, experience. Super knowledgeable, super cool dude, and um, I think you're really going to dig it. So check it out, National Restaurant Owners Podcast, Episode 88, Ken McGarry, Corgan Hospitality. Check him out. You guys know how important I feel vibe is to your restaurant or your bar. It's everything. And just to give you an example, have you ever noticed how the energy of of your restaurant or your bar totally changes when there's something on your TV that's not engaging like sports? I have a solution for you. Atmosphere TV is the first and only TV product of their kind built specifically for use in your restaurant. You may recognize their flagship channel, Chive TV, in addition to 40-plus other amazing high-definition content channels, including Red Bull TV, X Games TV, Beach Bum TV, America's Funniest Home Videos, and much, much more. Built and proven to keep your guests sitting, eating, drinking, and, of course, spending more money. The best part is Atmosphere remains 100% free for listeners of this podcast. Just use the code KYLE at checkout to have your setup fee waived and receive your device today. That's atmosphere.tv and use the code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, 
to receive your free device today. As a restaurant owner in 2021, I'm sure you can appreciate the convenience of restaurant technology and beautifully designed websites, but maybe you don't know where to turn. Well, I can tell you this. Look no further. I got your answer right here. Bento Box. Bento Box empowers restaurants to own their presence, profits, and relationships directly through their custom-designed websites. With Bento Box, you'll get a digitally accessible website that conforms to ADA guidelines and has SEO best practices built right in. They also provide e-commerce tools that drive high margin revenue by allowing your restaurant to grow loyalty by selling gift cards, merchandise, and events tickets 24 hours a day. Plus, you'll be able to own your guest relationship, making it easy to send messages, view data, and manage your orders all in one place. How good does that sound? Right? All in one place. Bento Box provides a full service setup that brings agency level design online in days at a fraction of the cost. Their best in class support team is available seven days a week for personalized support and industry expertise. And just because you're a listener of the show, you can receive 50% off your setup fees as well by clicking the link in my bio and entering the code FOU6 in the How Did You Hear About Bento Box section. Again, that's code FOU6. Bento box, own your presence, own your profits, own your relationships. All right, this is the National Restaurant Owners Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle and Sarah, and today's guest is Ken McGarry, author of The Surprise Restaurant Manager and founder of Corgan Hospitality, a nationwide consulting firm dedicated to helping restaurateurs reach their absolute potential. An, ap- an accomplished writer with an impressive list of published works, Ken always was drawn to the hospitality field. In 2001, he moved from Tulsa, Oklahoma, his hometown, and joined the management team at Chicago's Hunt Club. His five-year success led him to Toronto, where he co-founded Highway 61 Barbecue, featuring live music, award-winning ribs, and Ontario craft beers. After several years, he returned to the U.S. to join Top Golf and was rapidly promoted to National Director of Operations. While there, he sourced Hospitality Quotient, a consulting company associated with Danny Meyer's Union Square Hospitality Group, and worked in tandem to provide remarkable experiences for top golf guests. Ken, welcome to the show, man. Hey, I feel like you made that up off the top of your head, and I love it. It does not, <laughs> does not sound scripted at all. Hi, no, I, yeah, <laughs> not at all. And I, I'll tell you what, that is where the scripting ends for me. Because Good. I found, I, 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 can't, I can't do the scripting. It's not, it's, I tried it, and it's just like, I, you get into too much into each individual question, and then we'll be here for four hours. 100%. But yeah, <laughs> I, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. So I got to ask you, how, I mean, how do you go from the restaurant business to an author? That's a very Anthony Bourdain type leap. How did, how did you get there? Uh, you know what? The My reasoning for writing the book really started at Highway 61 in Toronto. I was getting, for lack of a better term, deported. I had a visa and it was expiring and I had to leave the U.S. and I had uh, been training my replacement as you do when you step into a position, but I wanted to write down absolutely everything I could possibly think of that he might Mm. not have. And so I just furiously wrote it. And that was in 2000, gosh, 2008. And Mm -hmm. um, from there, that was the beginning of it. And I've just been kind of compiling it as I open up restaurants or work in restaurants. I have a lot of the same conversations over and over again. So I figured I might as well write down everything that I say and compile it all in a book. There you go. Well, I mean, number one, just the fact that you're saying that you want to help the incoming manager. 
I don't always think that that's the dynamic, <laughs> right? I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these guys, I know this is part of the premise for the book. Like you walk into the position. It's like, Hey, guess what? You're the manager. And yep. there's not a lot of training. There's not a lot of, you know, let alone company values, the core values, the mission statement of the business. You don't even know what, like how many lemons to cut for service or what to back stock or what to batch and that kind of stuff. Tell me about that. Yeah. It's just, here are the keys, figure it out. Because <laughs> being a restaurant manager is not, I mean, it's boot camp. It's all yeah. it is. Because if you were a server or a bartender, you are literally making twice as much money as a restaurant manager and working half the hours and half the responsibility. So being that being that person who was a bartender, and I remember what it happened to me to us making bloody Marys for breakfast and sitting by the bar <laughs> and drinking my bloody Mary, very happy. And then something that doesn't happen. No, it is enjoyable. No, no, no. Yeah, it's one of those myths <laughs> of the restaurant business. And it and someone just handed me the keys and says, Hey, do you mind opening up and throwing out drawers? <laughs> And I said, yeah, 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 that's not going to be a problem. And then it's like, do you mind doing the scheduling for everybody? And I'm like, yeah. oh, oh, sure. And then next thing you know, I'm running it. And no one taught me anything. So when I'm hiring people, when I'm coaching people, when I'm terminating people, no one ever told me you might want to have a witness or you might not want to ask how old they are in the interview. You know? Oh, my God. All of this thing. You know those things are never trained. So I figured I would just put a primer together. So the first half of the book really is that. It's the beginning aspects of staffing, finding, training, and developing. And then it moves more to philosophy and how not to lose your head and make it to the next level. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, you know, so I work with uh, restaurants that are looking to grow. Like I'm looking for emerging restaurant brands. Ultimately, I say to people all the time, if I could find Sweet Green when they had two locations, that's who I want to work with, right? And then do that trajectory. That's tremendous. But I always say that you guys cannot do, you're only as good as, as your team, right? So I say, if you can take a week off, two weeks off without calling the restaurant, you might be ready if things are up to par. I mean, isn't it amazing how many operators are just kind of hanging on with like just doing what you're saying. Okay. Hey, you're the manager now promote this person to the head server. And Oh, by the way, here's the login for the payroll company. It's due on Friday. Like, do you see a lot of that? I see a lot of that. And especially with the labor shortage that we're dealing oh, with yeah. now. Now, don't get me wrong. In 2019, it wasn't like we were all tripping over each other with that. It <laughs> right. wasn't that it oh, right, wasn't right. easy then, but it's definitely not easy now. And because of that, yeah, a lot of people I know are wearing multiple hats. And a lot of that is management coverage. Yeah. And, and that means that somebody who doesn't have the training or the, you know, the acumen for doing so is probably the person who's taking heat at tables when there's overcooked steak or yeah. somebody's upset about, you know, being told that we don't have enough staffing. So we're not going to sit the entire room and not internalizing that and deciding that they want to leave the industry. Cause that's what's happening. People are leaving the industry because they're burning out. Yeah. And that can't be. No. And it's, it's frustrating. Like in your example before, when you're like forced to do these things or you're, you're asking to step up and wear multiple hats, somebody, there maybe somebody who got passed over for that job who maybe wanted it or is going to criticize you and gonna you know that infighting and that the, the owners maybe not as present as they should be kind of holding the holding the line i mean that's what's leading to the burnout right like there, there's no when, when you're kind of chasing the cheese all over the place that's stressful well i think that we all believe in some sort of romantic response that says somebody's paying attention to what you're doing and they're going to recognize you 
And that's how you're going to move up in, in your career. Yeah. But that's, that's that same level thing that you're going to find your wife because you're walking your dog and you trip over <laughs> their leash. And right. oh, it's a, it's a romantic version. The fact is your owners uh, don't have time to focus on what you're doing. They're, if you're doing your job, they think, oh, Kyle's doing a great job. And then they check that box off and go out of tasks. Yeah. Which is why you have to be the person that is continually self-promoting and talking about what you're doing and pushing yourself. You have to be your own PR agent because otherwise people are just yeah. going to leave you in that boot camp role and you'll never, you'll never progress and you'll burn out. Yeah. And I think it's, it is, a, I mean, despite what we're hearing and what we're seeing in regards to the staffing issues, I think that it's a tremendous opportunity for people who are serious hospitality professionals to really say, Hey, look, you know, step up, like you're saying, be proactive, communicate, like, this is what I'm seeing. Is this correct? How can I make this better? Or here are my suggestions. Are you are you seeing that? Are you seeing people take advantage of, of some opportunities in, in the in the industry right now? I am. And I think that there's also an a a very interesting aspect of restaurant management doesn't always necessarily mean it needs to lead into being a GM. There are mm. other avenues. If you're a restaurant manager, you should do that before you decide to run a kitchen. Because if you're the person who is a great chef and you've always dreamed about opening a restaurant. I see this a lot. You spend all your time in the back of the house from a culinary standpoint, creating exceptional dishes, mm -hmm. but you don't have a grasp operationally of how yeah. to manage the front half. So yeah. as part of being a chef, that restaurant boot camp probably pretty important. Same for event sales. People whose jobs are to pack the place would do well to spend a certain amount of their career as restaurant managers. So yeah, it's a trajectory that can go to several different avenues within the industry. And I'm seeing that a lot right now. And, I, and I've heard you, I believe I heard you mention this before, and, and I'd like to touch on it is, is that idea of cross training, mm -hmm. which I think is a big, big deal. I mean, one of the first restaurants that I was in at a culinary school, you know, it was a, a Spanish tapas restaurant. The kid was a James Beard award nominee and everybody rotated in the kitchen through every position, including him. He would be the salad station, he would be expo, and then the salad guy would be expo, dessert. And we all rotated, and it, it worked phenomenally. And you're a big proponent of that. Can you touch on that? I'm a huge proponent of that. I just think that people have a tendency of locking people in places when they're good at it. Yeah. If you're a good, if you're a good first baseman, then why would you move them to second base? Because yeah. you're like, no, you're really good at first. And it, But you have to be the type of owner or the type of manager who understands that that value, whether it's coverage, so that when someone calls off that people have better understanding of the stations, to being able to build the next leaders in the in the kitchen. How are you gonna be able to manage saute if you've never worked that station? So mm -hmm. that is a, I love that you come from that. I wish, I wish more restaurateurs would adopt that. And how do you, I mean, what are some characteristics of somebody who like, if you're hiring for cross training, there has to be some common threads, right? Like you can't just have well, he's really good knife skills. And you know, traditionally it was, hey, you're really good at salads, why don't you try saute? You're good at saute, why don't you try the grill? You grill, why don't you be chef the cuisine? Now you have it all. What what makes you a good team player in that aspect, whether front of the house or back of the house? Are there any characteristics you see as a common thread? Well, I think I'll I'll take front of the house as an example. When it comes to being able to find the right people that would be able to be cross-trained, it has I mean I, I I have a harder time being able to staff back at the house because I think that the higher mm. up that you go, um, it takes an art. It's a it's a skill, and you have to kind of inherently have it. 
from front of the house, you just have to inherently know that you have work ethic and passion and a level head and an ability to put on a smile, even when you don't think that you can. <laughs> so I have definitely built hosts into servers and servers into bartenders and cross-train those positions, as long as they have that level set of engagement, work ethic, enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. You, you just, as a manager, you have to make time to invest in people. That's why succession planning is so huge. You start somebody as a host that says, I really want to be a server. And you're like, great. So we'll, let's meet in 90 days and let's talk about what that looks like. And then we'll put up a six-month timeline to where we'll do training and we'll get you into that, that space. But just making promises, yeah, we'll get to it. And then never circling back yeah. is another reason people leave. Yeah, that that's the thing. It's like these guys. I know a guy who has a restaurant up here in Connecticut, and his whole thing is he farms everybody through, and he wants to give equity to the, to the key players because he knows how hard it is to find them, and give them a little piece of the business. But he says it's so hard because even though he's genuine with it, he's like they've had this carrot in front of them for so long, and it never panned out. The restaurant closed. They never paid them. They weren't open with their books. If you're gonna, I mean, if if that's if that's if I'm hearing you right, and that's somebody who has like buy into that kind of into your philosophy. Are you a proponent of giving away equity or or like profit sharing for for key employees? I am a proponent of profit sharing. I am a proponent of transparency. I love places that put the PL on a chalkboard so everybody mm. has an understanding of where you're at. Yeah. Um, but I'm also very transparent on making sure that we're talking about places what that equity looks like. Because as you very well know, the bottom line, that ROI can definitely be manipulated. Oh my to god. Where yeah, I mean, if you look at it, this, is why Amazon has never made money because oh um, yeah, you know because you can you can maneuver the, your EBITDA all the way around oh. to where that there's no equity to share. Uh, so to me, it's a percentage of sales based on measurables to where it's split within the teams, and I think that that is very fair. Mm-hmm. I think that that is very important, but also you tie those to measurables if it's making sure that your your cost of goods are low, then you're including your kitchen team or in your front of the house team on how they're pouring drinks and how they're making meals. And then you're incentivizing them on that. Yeah. There's a lot, they don't, I mean, you hear this, I, I talked about this on the last episode with uh, with a buddy of mine and he's like, you know, they don't really understand. And it's true, restaurant restaurant staff does not understand. They see top line sales, like, wow, we did 10,000 last night. You must be making so much money here. They need the ed- education. Like it's second nature to you, but. They need to see how slim those margins are. They need to understand that. And I have, I love the transparency piece. I especially, I mean, I think management, it should be, obviously, that should be part of their weekly responsibilities, understanding that. Um, do you have groups that you work with or concepts that you've been involved with that are doing like, what, what kind of reporting are they doing? Is it daily? Is it weekly? What, what What's the expectation around that? Uh, the the answer is all of the above. And yeah. at that point, my, my major... Uh, partnership is with Fabio Viviani from Top Chef. Mm -hmm. And uh, in our handbooks that we created, we actually talk about cost of goods for servers and bartenders. We explain exactly that so Mm -hmm. that they have an understanding on day one what that is. And we begin that conversation that usually servers and bartenders don't get to. But Mm -hmm. as far as how the company communicates and functions, everything from the inventory that's taken weekly and the cost of goods that are run to nightly reporting, uh, yes, very granular, but there is a challenge, and I know, you know you've experienced this, to where you can pile too much admin 
on top of the staff. Oh yeah. Yeah. And now you're and now your chef's not on expo. Your chef in the office filling out forms yeah, and that I hate it. I hate it. Yeah. So just the right amount of info is great, but as much yeah. as I can extract electronically and then have yeah. them put color around just, it. Yeah. Yeah, that's, it's like you don't need to have a deep understanding of it. I don't need you to do the calculations, but you need. I always think you need. I always say you need a, a restaurant specific bookkeeper number one for that stuff. You need somebody who knows that you need it accurate and you need it timely, and you, they just need to know what's good, what's bad, what you know the historical reference. I mean, above and beyond that, um, I think it's pretty pretty. You should have a basic understanding that money in is good, money out is bad. Let's try to maximize on this end, minimize on that end. But I, I think they, they get scared, right? Like their chefs are creative, they're artists. They're like, I don't, I don't know what this is, but you need that. That's that's a hat you need to have, especially now. Well, and then there's an also an, a very other interesting thing about reporting that I think that we all kind of struggle with. And this is where it comes to putting the color around the numbers, why your labor might have spiked that night, or why your sales might be down. Um, this is also the time to talk about struggles that you might be having in the kitchen, struggles you're having on the floor. But depending on the type of management team you are, a lot of times those reports are used as a hammer to where it's like, well, yeah. why are we like this? And where are we? And the next thing you know, you're basically incentivizing people to not be totally transparent on their reports. Mm, that's in, a good the, point. in the same way that if you hammer a, a bartender about their comps, they'll just stop ringing them in. So <laughs> you have to. That doesn't happen either, does no, it? Never. No, never. Never. <laughs> uh, you have to get to that that generous point of being able to have open transparency, but not have it be used as a you know a, a clobber over your head yeah. every time that you do so. Because then they're like, like, oh yeah, exactly. You like, oh, screw this guy. He's gonna he thinks I'm doing this. I'm not doing that. I don't I know why these numbers aren't work. Yep. I'm not. I've been in. Yeah. I've been in that conversation where they're like, the bookkeeper, maybe she's got the numbers wrong. Maybe you guys didn't do this, that, that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. It's, yeah, you're right. That's a, a great point. Um, so right now, you know, restaurants are at a pretty pivotal pivotal point across the country. Here in New York, um, you know, things are opening up. There's the Delta variant, all that kind of, all that talk. Um, but assuming everything's kind of behind us and moving forward, what are, what are some of you think the key takeaways that restaurants should have learned in, in the last year or so? Well, I think that there's an interesting conversation that's happening because I was really surprised that the kind of virtual kitchens um, haven't kind of slowed. But that's one of the things that I kind of have my finger in is working with a, a virtual concept called Food Hall. And what they do is very similar to a lot of ghost kitchens to where they set up and you know develop these nationwide. And as we were coming out of the, uh, the closures, really thought that we were going to see a downturn in that. But I think that that's an aspect that's really staying. And there is actually an opportunity for new and emerging chefs to create their cuisine and get it out to the masses virtually. So now you mm. don't have to have $2 million to set up a restaurant and hire staff and to build that. It's you create it in existing spaces and you develop your, your abilities and your brands out there to see who's following. They're all incubated yeah. at this point. And that's something really... That I think that we should have learned beforehand, but I think that we're going to find that there's going to be a, a generous space for that moving forward. Yeah, I like it for especially for the for the concepts that I'm keeping an eye on that they can test new markets without 
plopping down a million bucks and, exactly. and seeing what's going on there. But I mean, I think a lot of that comes down to, you know, when, when you're launching these virtual brands, whether you're established or not, is marketing. Are you seeing any creative marketing when it comes to these virtual brands that you like? I, you know, every, everything is food porn. Everything yeah. is trying to get behind it. I, we've all seen what happened with Mr. Beast, someone who oh. took 50 million subscribers and turned it in because he, he brought the audience mm -hmm. and you're with Khalifa. You're seeing that with a lot of people that already have an existing group and are translating that over. That's great. That's, that's different than competing in the last mile delivery platforms on DoorDash or Uber Eats and putting yourself up there and that has everything to do with affordability time um the the photos that you're using but from a from a marketing standpoint it, same in restaurants same in virtual same in everything marketing has to be forefront in the beginning of inception of everything yeah it's and that's that's always that's a myth that i had for 20 years is i always thought my job was to create the restaurant to create the environment and then I tell marketing what it is, and then they mm. try to market it. And I've had a lot more success in the last 10 years of inviting marketing in the door at the beginning when we're coming up with names and concepts yeah. or menus so that they can be a part of it. It's like a reality show. You know, people yep. love that content, right? And think about looking back on a year from now when you're sitting there struggling in like this build out of a restaurant, trying to, you know, menus all over the place, different floor plans. That's, that's cool content. That's, and that's creativity. That's what I always say about people who join new restaurant openings is that it's those people are creative and they are risk takers, but they are the people who had the opportunity to develop something in six months. Because after six months of opening a restaurant, everything's figured out and now it's just consistency. Yeah. And some And it's really hard to find somebody, especially in management, who can traverse both sides, who has enough creativity to open a restaurant, but enough stability to keep it going and still stay engaged after everything's figured out. Yeah. Now let's, let's get into the book a little bit because I, I was watching, uh, watching you on, on uh, Eric's podcast, restaurant unstoppable. And Love he mentioned, yeah, he's the man. Yeah, I'll tell you what he has been. I've said this in a lot of different places. I'm a commercial real estate advisor with a restaurant background, 20 year restaurant background. He's a podcaster and he helped me so much. You know, we're basically competing industries, but he will tell me equipment. He'll tell me software. We exchange guests back and forth. Just a really solid guy. So shout out to Eric uh, at Restaurant Unstoppable. Um, but, you know, in regards to the book, he made the comment, and I don't disagree for a lot of reasons, um, but that your book should be like handed with the employee manual. And I mean, let, let's talk about that book. And we touched on the beginning how you got started, but what, what's really the 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 the, the meat the meat meat and potatoes to, to this book that, that that people should be digging into? So, if you are somebody who's just joining into the industry, I always tell you to read the book from front to back because it starts very specifically on why do you want to be a restaurant manager, what are your goals, and then how do you develop staff, how do you train them, what is your abilities to touching the floor. How can you be an effective manager? But then you get more into the philosophical aspect of how do you deal with strong personalities, which are owners? Um, how do you deal with not internalizing negativity when you're dealing with uh, guests that are upset or staff that feel that they are not being heard? Uh, all the way through to how to promote yourself and move to the next level. So if you're just getting into the industry, read the book front to back. If yeah. you've been in the industry for a while, Read the book 
back chapter to front because they're freestanding articles from front to back. And I think that both sides, you'll find that there's value there. And I think what it is, is it's a book that you, you continue to read. Like, I don't think that it's like read and put it back on the shelf. I think it's something that you, as particularly if you're just getting into the industry, referring back to it, like, what, what was that that was here? Like, can I use this now? Like, what I remember he said something here. Do you see, is it utilized that way? Or how, how are you seeing um, some of your, your readers use this book? Have you gotten some feedback on that? So a lot of the feedback is, has to do with what the chapters are. So one of the chapters are, is the art determination. And mm -hmm. there's just very specific things that you might not have thought about. So don't terminate somebody in an office. Oh, yeah. Make sure that you're in an open space. Make sure that you're doing it not around other staff. Make sure that there is a witness that they feel supportive. It's just not you. It would be it would be somebody else being able to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Is that the espresso <laughs> machine and <laughs> staff coming in making their morning coffee? <laughs> exactly. It's vacuuming. You got to uh. do it part of the work. I love this. this. Is the realest? This is the realest show I've ever had. See, this is great. Uh, <laughs> so, so, as far as that termination piece, there's so many things that people just miss, and they make it a lot more contentious. And uh, you know, saying things like "Oh, this is hard for me," it's not hard for you. Uh, all, all of that is that it gives them this opportunity to be very, to get better at their position. So, if you know that you're terminating somebody, reading that chapter before you're doing so, we'll give you those tips to make sure that you're doing it correctly. Talk about why that's important, because it, it is important, and I forget what book it's in, but it, maybe it was in like Restaurant Man or one of those things where it was like, hey, if, if I ask you to meet me at this place, like, don't, don't meet me there. Like, <laughs> you just know what's happening. But explain why it's important to, to, to do those things that, that you're talking about there. Because honestly, it's something that they are going to remember for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. and. I, I'm the first to say that I've been terminated twice. I absolutely yeah. have. And I can remember what that felt like. And I can remember one place that did it, you know, in a, in a way that was different than another to where I understood it better. In the moment, no one ever does. It's like a breakup. You're not going to immediately get to the point of saying, oh, yeah, I understand why this person's breaking up with me. But in time, you understand the logic of doing so. But managers who use termination as a teaching time well this is why i'm terminating you there's nothing you can say that's going to justify it you wouldn't tell your girlfriend why you're breaking up with her and give her the 30 reasons you just yeah. tell her kindly that it just isn't it's not a fit and i'm really sorry that that's the case but that's that and that's one of 26 chapters that kind of talk about that from a philosophical standpoint but also with, with real world you know things yeah. that you should make sure that you're doing I mean, the reality is when it gets to that point, it's probably, you know, you should have been keeping tabs on them to the point and, and taking note, right, of, of what, hey, I've noticed you've been late or you've, you know, who knows, you've been, your attitude's been a problem, whatever it is. You should have that kind of record, right? That's important. It is very important, and it shouldn't come as a surprise. You should have taken the opportunity to have coached along the way. People lose the, the term coach. When you're a coach, you're on a team. You're not supposed to admonish, make people feel bad. You know? Yeah, uh, that's not that's not what a coach does. So, in in order to actually be supportive, you're communicating and coaching, and then documenting to where when you finally get to that point, it's it shouldn't you shouldn't have to justify it. And it should be an understanding that it, it the fit just isn't there. Yeah, I I was involved uh, with my own restaurant. We we were looking to expand, and they brought in this consultancy that kind of like layered on all these little very important, 
you know, legal aspects of the HR department of your restaurant. And mm-hmm. they used to call them coaching for improved performance. So it was like, yeah, it was like these, hey, I noticed this is what's happening. We'd like to see this. And and for me, I made a lot of parallels to sports. And I had a coach say to me, you know, because I was, I was screaming at him. I'm like, why the fuck won't you get off my back, man? Like, leave me alone. Leave me alone. And he's like, look, when, when I stop, when I stop caring what you're doing, then that's when you should be concerned. And I think that 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 applies to restaurant managers, right? Like you you need to be coaching is the word, not dictating. And that that's that's something you see all the time. I completely agree. So, in regards to to the, to the book, let me let me some other other chapters that you find to be you know most important for for a new manager or a struggling restaurant manager to really to really pay attention to. I think it has uh, one of my ones that I like to talk about a lot is. Uh, taking two steps back. It's the ability to realize why people are the way that they are. So when your server comes to you and says, why am I not being set? The host doesn't like me. Then <laughs> you have to understand what that what that person is saying. It's very easy to respond back. You're crazy. The host likes you and the schedule yeah. is fair. But now you're meeting aggression with equal aggression, and there's never a benefit in that. And if you take a step back, you probably are going to become that mommy daddy psychologist that every restaurant has oh. where they, they go to them and they're like, well, I just don't feel appreciated. And they, they hug them and tell them, Oh no, we like you and everything's fine. Mm. That's also, that's also not great. You no, know, you have to really take yourself back and say, well, why is this person complaining? Well, they probably are concerned about their own job performance. They don't feel very good about how people perceive them and they're in a space to where they feel unsure. So give them data responses, which is, hey, I tell you what, I, I will look into open table, make sure that you are being set uh, in rotation. We'll, we'll watch the data. And then you take your own data and you and I will meet up in two weeks and see if this is the case or if this is some anomaly. And then as you begin to wrap around, oh, no, you've been set in rotation and you'll notice that you've had the same number of uh, covers as everybody else. You'll begin to to say without jamming it at them that no, it has more to do with how you're approaching your day and how you feel that it's going for you, and that that that's an eye-opening experience that will help that server not only in your job but in life to understand that it's not the whole world against them. It might be. Yeah, I mean that happens so often. In that in in that case, are are you? I mean, a lot of times that's about tips, right? Like they're they're concerned about tips. They're like, I'm not yep. getting sad as much. Susie's yep. making sitting in. You know, are you a proponent of the, of the tip pool, or how do you? Are you? What do you like to see on the floor that you think maximizes the hospitality experience and the service experience, and and keeps, of course, conversations like that to a minimum? I. There are some concepts associated with it. Use a tip pool. The thing I love about the tip pool is that uh, it very quickly pushes the people out that are not keeping up. So yeah. if you are a server and you have, and you know that everybody's holding down four table sections, but one person taking two, then they're going to quickly push that person out. But yeah. that's not. But the challenge with that is that that's not always a great thing, because when people are new, there's this natural hesitancy of mm-hmm. putting them under the system. So my solution to that is put your servers and bartenders in the hiring process. If you're doing job fairs, have your servers there. If you're oh, doing, yeah. yeah, have them be a part of the decision because it's a lot easier 
for the servers to agree on somebody that's going to be in the tip pool so that they, so when that person stumbles, they can feel like, oh, well, we thought Tom was going to be really good, but he's stumbling. Well, let's see what we can do about helping them instead of who hired this guy. Why the hell is he here? He can't be possible. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's the thing I, I, with, with the trails and things like that, and, and they, they attach them to a server. Sometimes I see that that sometimes is is off-putting. Do you, do you recommend that process of like bringing somebody in and then having them trail your best server? Or do you think that's like disruptive? Or how do you, how do you, how do you like to see that somebody be on board of that process? Are you a fan of trailing? Well, I'm a fan of having them work with the lead person that's been trained on how to train. But yeah. the thing that I see so often is somebody's hired, they're attached to the lead trainer and the management isn't involved. And likely the manager was the person who put the final say and said, yes, let's go ahead and hire you. But yeah. see that, that person has already an association with them and says, I want to make this person happy. And in doing that, if that manager isn't a part of the hiring or the training process, then that's when people after three days leave. It's because the manager has to stay connected, has to at least follow up every day to say, yeah. hey, let's sit down for 10 minutes. What did you learn today? What are you finding? What are you thinking about this? Mm. So that they so that they keep their excitement level up. Yeah. Man, where do you find these managers? That's, that's so yeah, engaging, yeah. right? I mean, you need that. It's so key. Just when you said that, I was like, I would love my restaurant manager to communicate like that on a regular basis. But they're always like, well, I don't have time to talk to them. They got to be able to figure it out or whatever it yeah. is. Well, yeah. They got to figure it out. I got too much work to do, so do they. It's this, I feel pressure, I feel pressure, so I'm going to raise pressure to others. Yeah. But in the same way that I, I admonish GMs who beat themselves up and tell everybody how many hours that they work because all they're doing is they're telling restaurant editors, don't be a GM. Like, you're mm. not making that, that level of, you know, of yeah. very attractive. Same thing with being a restaurant manager. Yeah, you, you, you have to make time and you have to be able to take 10 minutes out or else you're going to lose that person and it'll take you two hours to, you know, interview and find another person instead of 10 minutes to regain the one that you already hired. In, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I feel that one. Um, and you know, a lot of that is what we we spoke about a little bit before. Was is is you know these guys are feeling burnout. These guys and girls are feeling for, are feeling burnout. I know you talk about that in the book. Are, are can you talk about some some suggestions you have that can help minimize that burnout and and help you know restaurant owners you know support a little bit or and avoid their own burnout? Well, what are, what are your tips around that? Come up with specific things that are inarguable that you have to do, whether they are extracurricular activities, such as, uh, you know, pick up basketball games a year, at twice a week, they could be religious, they could be family time, whatever it is, schedule those times and do not allow you to break, to break away from that. Because you have to have a life outside of the industry. Yeah. And then the other, and then the other thing is, is that you have to also schedule administrative time. So if you're oh, a manager, yeah. you know that part of what you're doing is you're scheduling staff or putting in invoices, then okay, but put between two and four on Tuesday on your management as admin, make sure there's coverage on the floor and do your work. If you go home and do your schedule on your couch, you'll have no balance. And yeah. you're also not letting your owners understand the true hours it takes to do your position. 
Yeah. That's one of the things I realized since I've stepped out of there. I just sold my my last restaurant uh, about six months ago. And, you know, been in the commercial real estate business for about five years is, you know, there are so many things that are not applied. It's a business. The restaurant business is a business. You're a manager in there. And things like time blocking, which you're referring to, is mm-hmm. such a major component, which allows me to do this podcast, right? Like I can, I have clients. I have things I've attended. You have clients. You have things you have to attend to. But you said, this is the time that I have allocated to do this podcast because I think that it's important. The restaurant industry has been, you have to do this, come hell or high water. It's always putting out fires. It's the worst. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's not, doesn't, it doesn't sound like a job that you want, right? Like, in fact, people will jump into it and they're happy to be like, well, that's what I do. I put out fires. I always found one thing that was so disruptive is when the liquor reps just pop in and they're like, hey, I have so-and-so from this, you know, spiked seltzer company. Do you want to try some? And they're like, well, I guess I got it. You caught me here. No, you don't have to. You don't. you don't have to do that. And they never do that. Can you talk how important that is? I mean, I think that's really a key piece. Well, I think that, that it, I love the liquor rep one because half the, half the reason that you'll do that is that, <laughs> one, you get, to, you get to drink in the middle of the day. Because you're burned and out, then, yeah. You right. need a drink. And then, right. And then, two, suddenly you become important because mm. as, as a restaurant manager, you probably have ownership or senior manager breathing down your neck. You're yep. definitely dealing with challenges with staff. You're dealing with challenges with your cats. You're taking it from all sides. So if somebody wants to actually have your attention and your opinion, then you as a restaurant manager are like, sure, I'll try your new seltzer. And yeah. Because it's just this, I'm going to take this opportunity to do this. And they find necessity in that. Um, yeah. It, it, is, it is telling how, how, uh, how big that is. Now, that said, there are times to where you can schedule those aspects. Yeah. I do that with my vendors all the time, uh, but you don't have to. And just because somebody walks in, uh, but I've also seen people be horribly dismissive. What? I don't have time. Go away. Mm, yep. But either. Oh yeah. It's, no. It's hey, you know what? Thank you so much for coming because you know those vendors had to figure out marketing. They had to lug in product. They had to walk in and cold call. And if you haven't ever done that as a job. It's a very hard oh. job to do. So they they deserve respect, but they also need to have parameters of hey, is there a way that we can do this next Thursday at two? Yeah. I would be happy to break out half an hour to do this when I have coverage on the floor and I know that I can sit down and do that. And that's okay to do. Yeah. I mean that's that it sounds just when you say it, it it's calming to hear somebody have that level of of control of their time because and I, and they'll appreciate that because the a good buddy of mine who I've had on this podcast, he was ex, actually an ex NFL football player. He works for a liquor spirit, uh, liquor company here uh, in New York, and I, I got to know him through that because he provided so much value. But he can he gets so frustrated when restaurant owners are slamming the door in their face. He's like, yeah. "Hey, you're buying. I'm I'm trying to I'm going to show you how you guys can save a couple hundred bucks a month on on this liquor." And you're you know what I mean? Like I'm not trying to sell you something you don't want. And they they often they often do that, but that that's a different story. But- and those vendor relations are very important, oh, not yeah. only so that you can build and improve your, you know, well and coming up with different spirits, but also for like your budget suppliers mm-hmm. and your waste disposal. Figuring out conversations with your vendors so you can track usages every ninety days and adjust accordingly. Your your vendors are a very very important part of it, but it's kind of like the open door that you have with your staff. If you're just immediately available and everyone wants to talk then you're never going to be in an open space to listen. So if someone yeah. comes up to you on the floor and says, hey, I got this, or I want to talk about what's going on, 
then I always say, great, let's schedule time to where I'm like cognitively available to you so that yeah. I can hear you. Because if you tell me right now, I'm thinking about table 43's overcooked stick right now. Yeah. <laughs> exactly you know? right. Yeah. I mean that there is a there is a high degree of that, like that that, you know. I need to do this now and everything in the business now, now, now. I need to talk to you now. It's affecting me now. But yeah, right. obviously right. The, the guest experience comes first. That being said, you know, somebody should have a little bit of awareness around that. Like that's a kind of a red flag. If you're jumping on me about something, you have a problem with your tips and you check in the middle of service. But in in regards to that, that uh, characteristic, it's a good segue into your your philosophy on interviews and, and some of the red flags you should be looking for. Um, you know, maybe even more so now. I know that's a, you know people are now just hiring people off the street and slamming them behind the bar more so than ever because they don't have the people. But what are some of the things that you should be doing, or what are some things you should avoid doing, uh, or or what are some things you should be looking for in your restaurant staff as you move forward? Let's put it that way. Sure, and I mean, yeah, in the book I list eight red flags. Uh, everything from not bringing your pen. So that, that way, you know, it, it gets their office and times to, to fill something out. So you should be thinking ahead. Something as simple as that, all the way to not people who don't give two weeks notice, you know, saying, oh, yeah, I can work. I don't need to let them know. I can, I can mm. start tomorrow. Uh. <laughs> don't, don't hire their yeah, you're next. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're next. Same thing with bashing restaurants. It's, a, it's an absolute industry rule. I, I'll go into pre-shifts and I'll talk about an experience that I had the night before and how great it was, and then I'll talk about the restaurant. But if it, that experience was negative, and but I still want to talk to the staff about the service areas or the penalties that I saw, I'll, you'll never hear me say anything negative about a restaurant because you don't bash restaurants. But people yeah. do in interviews all the time to justify why they're leaving. So if you, if you hear them do that, they're gonna do it to you. But yeah. the bigger to the bigger point, I think it has everything to do with if you buy a car and that car is dented and it, it's already, you know, you already see three things wrong with it. Yeah. The things that you're seeing, I guarantee you, you are going to continue to see even that much more as you're going through it. So when you see that there is a challenge, your best move 100% is to just say, nope, they're telling you in the moment, this isn't a good fit. So you yes. just allow them to, to say that and be okay with hearing them and not hire that person out of desperation. Yeah. Like literally the old, thank you for letting me know that. Like, thank you for telling me that. Exactly. Exactly. You are, you are letting me know right now that this is not a good uh, thing. And I know, I realize that I need staff. I am so needing staff. So I would love to hire you, but if you're going to be this person, all you all is a stopgap and you're only bringing that much turbulence into your restaurant because you know, you're holding on to weakness. Yeah. I mean, it's like just, you're just throwing bodies at a problem and it's money at a problem. That's just going to probably cost more money and be bigger headaches. That is uh, something that, like you said before, that was not, that was not a dynamic that that's not a dynamic that is new to the industry that has been, but I think even more so now, um, I mean, what so what what tactic like what should they be doing what should you be looking for what are how do you you know navigate this thin job market i mean are you looking for opportunities within are you looking for people outside the industry to come work what, what are some best practices right now you think well i think that, i think that that's the answer is if you have a robust enough training uh, method and if you have a staff that is engaged and willing to be a part of that solution then quite honestly you can find 
the right people for servers, bartenders, hosts, anywhere. And that's yeah. the great thing about our industry is that this, for a lot of us, this is where we started. This is somebody, some way back when said, I think I see something in him to where he can move from being uh, a host to a server, to a bartender, to a manager. And somebody took that investment in me, and I was very fortunate in that. I don't think that that's the norm. I think that mm. oftentimes we've lost the through line on mentors. So if you're a restaurant yeah. manager, you have a real opportunity to actually bring people in and give them a career. Yeah. I mean, when I was 17 working at a you know famous place with, uh, with mascots and pizza, um, wearing, no. wearing a mouth outfit, uh, I surely didn't think I was going to be in a restaurant 35 years later doing yeah. that. But that, that's, this is how I built my life, and I love it just because of the hospitality and the people that I get to be associated with. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's that. That's that's a major piece. That that's so that's so true. Is because I still think about the guy. I actually looked him up on LinkedIn. The guy who gave me my first restaurant job, and I, I want to thank him. I want to have him on the show, but he's still he's like an old grumpy retired chef, so he's <laughs> he's not into it. But um, I I do. I mean, that's that's exactly right. And I think that's what sparks your interest in that business is somebody sees something in you, and then you know maybe they see something you don't about your own personality, about your own work ethic, your own energy that that they think would be a good fit. Without question. And that really gives people an opportunity to be a part of something great because that's, that's the one thing that I never lose sight of is that restaurants, every single one that I'm a part of that I either help open or help develop, uh, that's where, where all my friends came from. Every single friend yeah. I have is in the industry. Oh, yeah. My wife is from the industry. I, <sighs> we all, all of us who ever worked in the restaurants uh, have people that we've known lifelong, even more so than high school. Yeah, I don't know too many. I don't keep up with too many people from my high school, but I keep up with people from the nightclub job that I had in two thousand one. I mean, <laughs> literally, uh, it, it is just it's just that, and it's amazing. It's an amazing industry for exactly that reason. Yeah, you spend so much time with these people. You spend more more time than than you do at home, and it's it's it does form you. I always think it's like a. I like I said, I always make the analogy with sports. It, it it was attractive to me in the kitchen because there was a start time, there was an end time, and it was like I could get through this. That push, let's get through. You know, the the, rea the instant reactions from from people were, were always exciting to me. And I think it, you're right; those those are friendships and, and relationships that you carry on forever. Exactly. Uh, and so I, I wrap up here because I know you're obviously on site, got work to do. Um, Yes, I moved around. <laughs> I'm now at the outdoor patio. And, uh, yeah, so we've gotten the full tour. I mean, at this point, we just need the tasting menu. You really, you really have it. Yeah, I'm at the Valley Lodge here in Columbia, <laughs> Illinois, a great mom and pop shop. And uh, yeah, you've now seen. Uh, you only think, I'll take you into the kitchen next. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll start with a little, you know, appetizer. I mean, that looks like they spent a lot of money on that tent there. That's that's uh, putting in a nice was, effort there. This was a holdover from when outdoor dining was the only thing that, that they could do. And because the response of people loved it so much, they kept us up and were able to put 60 more seats on the uh, outside. That so dynamic has worked out pretty well for a lot of people, right? It's, I mean, downtown Chicago, they have Clark Street that is still roped off to this, to this day for outdoor dining, and it's been able to expand. So there, and those are good things. Those are very, yeah. those are good aspects that we should retake. So I, I know we spoke about some some things that restaurants coming out of the pandemic should be doing, but in terms of you know the overall restaurant scene, and you know there was so much talk during the pandemic of 
restaurants are going to get smaller. They're going to be delivery only. They're going to be only virtual brands. There's going to be this, that, and nothing. I agree. That stuff is going to be prominent. It's going to be out there. Mm-hmm. But I really think people are are craving the experience. And I know the Danny Meyer experience that you've had. I mean that that's big part of what what he has to has to say. I mean, do you, are you seeing that? Are you seeing that restaurants grasping onto that 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 desire that I think these people have right now for for that experience? They want to be out there. They want to they want to have more than just something to eat. They want to experience the restaurant. Is there is that something that you're seeing? And, and if so, like what what specifically do you like about that? Or or how are you seeing restaurants embrace it? Well, I think that there's. I'll put yes with an asterisk on. Uh, yes, absolute celebration of being able to be open and appreciation of the guests that are arriving. The the loss of so many people in our industry mm. has really, really left it to where the people that are still left, our servers, our bartenders, our line cooks, our, our hosts, everybody, are people that genuinely want to yeah. be in the industry. Mm-hmm. And God, God love them for it because... That means that that got rid of everybody that was, you know, possibly this wasn't for them. So the people <laughs> who are left, they are, they are hardcore industry folks and it's yeah. for big stuff. But it also does mean that the experience has been adjusted. I, I've got places, several places to where we have to turn away walk-in tests because there's just no ability to see. And there might be open tables. Yeah. There literally might be open spots, but... We know that if we sit that entire restaurant with the staffing that we currently have, the experience is going to be ruined for everyone. So we yeah. have to kind of draw a line in the sand. So, yes, absolute development of, uh, of bringing people back. But we have to make the industry itself attractive. And that's where the trick is. Mm. That you have to be a company that's willing to be competitive, competitive with benefits, competitive with flexible hours, competitive with creating environments that aren't clopens and doubles and yeah clopens oh god brutal but brutal if, if you create that environment or to where you have managers who tell you what to do and point and don't help or people who like even something as straightforward as scheduling people who don't put the schedule out until saturday night for yeah. next monday yeah you're not creating any balance in the life and you're not making it attractive for people to return. So as we're looking for staff and as we're rebuilding, we have to be very mindful that we have to do it better than we have in a mm. lot of ways going forward. I think that's a great place to wrap up because that's such a huge takeaway. I mean, it's it's an opportunity to really better yourself and, and really take a look. I mean, you had you had a year to take a look at your operations and see what you could be doing better. And there was a lot of people talk, having these conversations. So if you missed it, then you missed it. And and maybe that's why you can't open for lunch or something like that. So exactly, Chloe had to absolutely awesome. Well, Ken, tell everybody where they get a hold of you, and of course where they can uh, cop a, a copy of the book. Uh, you can hit me at uh, Corgan Hospitality. K O R G E N Hospitality. My wife's name is Morgan, so that's the adorable name. Aww. Uh, and uh, and the, book, <laughs> uh, the the paperback book is available on where all great books are sold. I will say that the uh, you can download the um, electronic version on Amazon for ninety nine cents. And I mean, if if you want to email me at Ken at Oregon Hospitality, I'll send you a free PDF. To me, yeah. this has very little to do with any sort of profit. It has everything to do with there's a lot of restaurant managers right now 
that are in situations who are they're not supported from having the basic knowledge. And I want this. This is my this is my thing that I can do to, to help. So spend 99 cents to download it, get it from me. Or if you want to listen to the five hour podcast of me talking, it's on Audible as well. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's I mean, when when I first uh, came across you and, I, and we got connected. Um, yeah, I, I was sent the PDF copy of the book and I was like, you know what I love about this is it's, it's like my podcast here. It's where you're just kind of giving away where owners can take this book and, and managers can use this book as a tool based on experience and based on what you're seeing. So I love it. And I think it's an absolute must have for any any restaurant owner or, or for their for, for their managers for sure. Kyle, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. All right. Well, look, enjoy your day. I'm sure you're going to get a lunch out of this gig today. Um, and I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you again. And you have yourself a fantastic day. All right, Ken. All right, guys. Thanks for checking out the episode. That was Ken McGarry. Make sure you head over to the show notes and uh, you can find the link there where you can pick up a copy of his book, The Surprise Restaurant Manager. And of course, make sure you're following us over on Instagram. TikTok, YouTube, all that fun stuff. I really appreciate you guys continuing to support the show. Bento Box, Atmosphere TV, the links are there. You guys should be taking advantage of this stuff. Uh, two great companies looking to really have out the restaurant business and their discount codes um, in the links. So give them a shot. Um, all right, guys, thank you so much. Episode 88 in the books. I appreciate you. Thank you. Continue to kick ass out there and be safe.